The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Money in Your Life, the radio program that gives you the insight and motivation to be more successful with all aspects of your personal finances. Your hosts are Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. Today's program will feature experts and intriguing ideas that will show you how money is actually operating in your life. Now, here are Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. Welcome to Money in Your Life, a weekly show where we explore the influence of money in your life with a variety of authors and experts. We give you practical information so you can open up your own conversations around money and make money work for you. I'm Brian Farr, and my co-host Ann Hutchins is traveling today, so she's unable to join us. Our guest is Luna Jaffe. Luna is a certified financial planner in Portland, Oregon. She has her own firm named Lunaria Financial. Luna is also a writer and a visual artist, and uh, her recent book is called Wild Money, A Creative Journey to Financial Wisdom. So welcome, Luna. I'm glad you can join us on the show today. Oh, it's fun to be here, Brian. Thank you. Okay. Let's jump right in. I'm curious to ask, what makes your approach different? When you're working with clients, when you're working with people around the topic of money, how would you describe your difference? Yeah, it's a great question. So I come from a background of being a visual artist and a psychotherapist. And what makes how I work different is that I really believe that we have to explore our relationship with money from an emotional perspective while we're also learning to build our competence around money by learning language, by understanding uh, where we want to go, by getting some practical skills under our belt. But those skills uh, need to be formatted or presented in a way that really works for the rest of us. I think that a lot of the model out there is one that was Honestly, it's a very masculine model. It was developed by men. It doesn't work for a lot of women. It doesn't work for a lot of um, creative people. There's there's a kind of a gap out there in the world of finance, um, mm-hmm. and many people learn visually. And so what I've tried to do is address learning about money and becoming more um, in tune with our own relationship with money from a visual perspective, both internal visuals. I, I call up people's internal uh, imagery as well as using imagery to explain concepts. This is interesting. Your background is is the perfect. You, you're the perfect person to bring these pieces together. In terms of being a visual artist, you can you can bring that aspect to it, and in in your training as a therapist, to be able to um, go beyond the surface parts and get to un- the underlying emotions and the values. I'm assuming that values are a big part of what you work with. Yeah, values are, are underlying all of it. I don't. It doesn't even become a conversation per se sometimes because it's it's there with everything. What do you really care about? How are we going to make what you care about where your life goes? And how do we direct you in that way? It's not just about budgeting or goals or, you know, get your investment allocation in place because all those things are just 
pieces that need to be lined up with what you really care about and how you want to feel at the end of the day or at the end of the year or at the end of your life. Mm-hmm. So I try to get it so that people, I say to them, you know, if you passed away tomorrow, would you feel good about where everything is in your life and what you've done and what your, um, how your assets might go to the next generation? And what kind of legacy are you creating and leaving? And mm-hmm. it's not just an estate planning conversation. It's a how am I living my life conversation. Yeah, yeah. Do you find that your clients are, are willing to participate? You know, to, to go, that you can guide them into that kind of a conversation and an exploration? I, I do, because they don't get drawn to me unless that's what they're interested in. Okay. Um, I, have, I have such a particular focus. There's lots and lots of other people that do just your investment management or just your, um, some people just look at the emotional side of it and don't do the investment management. So when they come to my website or come to me in the office, they've already been, they've already researched it. So they have an idea of, oh, wow, this isn't the typical process. And, in fact, just to get in my door, they have to fill out two questionnaires, not one, but two. And one of them is all about the emotional relationship they have with money, and the other one is all about what do you have and where is it and what have you done to protect it. Interesting. So they're, they're prepared when they get there. <laughs> now, I, I know from, uh, from talking with you before that you worked in a more traditional investment planning uh, environment before you set up your own office. Um, I'm curious, I'm guessing that, that there was a point in there or some process where you said, you know, this isn't going far enough. I want to bring more to the conversation. Is that, is that true? Did you kind of yeah. have a, a I aha for, moment? For a, a large broker dealer um, and one of the largest in the country. And, and what was, it was a, a fascinating experience and a really good experience from the learning, you know, just starting out process. It's helpful to have a lot of containment especially when you're as creative as I am. It's like it helped me because there were so many things I couldn't do in that environment. It made me learn, really, it's kind of like studying classical dance. You know, if you have to just do those movements over and over again, it it makes you a stronger dancer. And then you can go off into modern dance. And the same would be true for the way I learned about investment uh, management, Uh financial advising is I learned it in this environment, but I kept feeling contained by it. And when I knew that I had this book to write, I went to my compliance department at this firm and I said look I really want to write this book and and they kind of said well you know just go ahead and write it we'll let you know after you finish it whether or not you can publish it and I just went I I don't think so (laughs) I don't think that's the way I want to approach it Uh, I don't want you telling me whether or not I can actually write the book that I know I need to write so it was a it was a clear jumping off point and a and a huge leap of faith that Mm -hmm. I could uh, go forward and create a firm that was really built on what I feel is important and creates a longer-term process for the clients that I have. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. Now, you've mentioned the visual process. Uh, Can you tell us some more details about how you use the visual arts or how you use the visual process to gain a deeper awareness um, to help your clients go further in their understanding of their relationship with money? My belief is that if we, if if I were to ask you, Brian, if I were to say, so how's your relationship with money? You might say, oh, it's okay, or it really sucks, or you know, you would use a couple words um, that you might have used for the last 20 years to describe your relationship with money. But if I were to ask you to imagine that your relationship with money is an object out in the world, and you know, w- w- you could land on something, and people. they're always stunned that it actually shows up, that this image actually shows up. It's just something that you can 
visualize them. So, for example, the other day um, a woman said, oh, oh, that's easy. My relationship with money, it's like I'm holding on to a piece of meat. It's bleeding, and I'm surrounded by sharks. And, and that was her experience. She's like, each time I get money, that's what it feels like. It feels like the sharks are circling, and mm-hmm. I am so vulnerable. Wow. Uh, you know, and I was that's like, a, that's a powerful, powerful image. I imagine there's is, a, and it's I like, imagine what? we have a listener right out, out there right now going, Ooh, that's me too. Yeah. And, and so what happens when you have that image is that now we have something to work with. Yeah. It's not, Oh gosh, I feel really scared about money. No, it's, I have the, the sharks are circling and, and the meat's bleeding. <laughs> you know, it's very, it's kind of gory, but it, in a way it's like, well, what can we do about that? We can visually change the picture. We can mm-hmm. say, all right, I need a shark tank around me. I need to wrap that meat up so it's not bleeding and attracting sharks. I need to get out of the water. You know? <laughs> and, and All three good be- strategies. Yeah, and they're, they're metaphors. So then we talk about, well, what would that look like? What does it look like to, what would it mean to get out of the water? What would it mean to protect yourself with a shark cage? And they're all metaphors for, oh, I feel too vulnerable. And when I get big chunks of change, because I, you know, I'm an artist and occasionally I get these big chunks and, I, and when I get them, I'm just terrified. I'm going to do something stupid. Well, well, there's things that I can do as a financial planner or you can do as a financial therapist to help that person understand how to protect themselves, how to, you know, whether it's protecting yourself with good advisors, with information, with um, giving yourself pacing and saying you don't have to do anything. You know, you can just let that money be and you can feel it and be and sit with it. The visual informs us about a much deeper story that we have and it allows us to change that story first metaphorically and then in the physical world. Right, right. So let's let's get real specific here. The question that a person could ask themselves is what does how would I visualize this relationship with money? So could you say the question again that that triggered how that woman got to saying it's a piece of meat and and the sharks are <laughs> yeah. swimming around? So so the question is so when I teach classes for example that I always start I don't I don't start by saying draw your relationship with money because people have this anxiety about drawing. So I start with imagine that your relationship with money is a physical object out there in the world that you can relate to in some way. And and just land on it. What when you think about your relationship with money, what comes to mind? And I've had everything from it's a black hole, it's a chain around my feet, it's a feather floating right nearby, but I can never reach it. It's it's this stone that is so heavy, and it's just sitting there. But what's really amazing is that when you dig into those images, people find things that are totally surprising to them. Mm-hmm. It's, Mm-hmm. In other words, one woman said, it's, it's this stone, and I love stones. And then, you know, that was her response, I love stones. And then she went, but this is a really heavy object, and right. I'm not really liking the heaviness of it. And that represents that part of me that feels a little paralyzed. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when we went further with it, she then said, you know, if that rock were surrounded by flowers in my garden, it wouldn't feel so heavy. It feels balanced. So, again, it's finding that, how do I work with it? How do I move it forward into something that really lines up with what I want? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yep, and then that gives you something tangible to work with, rather yeah, than just a concept. Yeah, and then you can keep going to it. So then I then I have people draw it. Um, they can collage it. They can go to Google Images. Uh, there's lots of ways to do it. You don't have to draw, but drawing actually becomes very powerful no matter what it's not about artistic skill at all in fact i always tell people that stick figures are fabulous because mm-hmm. stick figures you know I've, i had this one woman and she drew a picture of herself uh as a stick figure on a cot in a like a like a mash unit you know from from the army and right. all these people around her it was all a bunch of nest eggs that were all basically dying <laughs> and broken and mm-hmm. she's lying on this cot and it was a stick figure image but it was so powerful Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she yeah, was that's... like, "Wow, I had no idea! Like, look what I did to my nest egg! I totally decimated it." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then yeah, all of this... a sudden, she's like, "I got something to work with here." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This fits in so much with what I've I've worked when I work with people in my office. I don't have the visual arts background that you do, but this is intriguing me because I want to I want to push this forward. But helping people move beyond whatever the way that they're holding their thoughts around money right now. Is, is a pretty good place to, to start. If, if they're stuck, a lot of times they're stuck right there with the way with the story they have or the thoughts they have around money. So this is an excellent way to open up uh, their own conversation with themselves about what's going on with their money. It takes it deeper because sometimes we think we're just we're just stuck with the stories that we inherited, or we're just stuck with the stories that uh, we've become as a result of being married for 20 years to somebody who has a very different money style. But the truth of the matter is is that the, the landscape of our own relationship is, is all of those things. Mm-hmm. And we have to be willing to look at it with this really compassionate um, tenderness. We have mm-hmm. to be tender because there are seedlings in that landscape that are totally powerful and valid and useful. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, boy, I've had this horrible relationship with money and there's nothing of value there. I totally don't believe that. It's more like a desert and there's seeds under it and it just needs water. Yep. Yeah, that's a good image. That's a good image. So let me ask you, when you get when you get now you've gotten the some new ideas up to the surface, you've got some uh, new images about how people can work with money. How do you help people move forward um, who just might be stuck? You know, fancy word is procrastination, you know, just not finding it easy to get started in the process. What have, what have you learned about helping people make progress in changing their uh, the way they work with their money? Yeah, one of the big keys to understanding what gets in our way of moving forward is to really dig into what's triggering it. And a lot of times people just assume that, you know, well, I'm just a procrastinator. And then they beat themselves up and then it becomes this kind of, you know, self-flagellation situation, which just doesn't help anything. Um, what I've discovered is that there, there really are five different things that trigger procrastination and when you understand whether you have one or three or five of all of these things you can actually address them and that helps you get through it so to just kind of outline them briefly for you the the first one is when we carry resentment or bitterness about money or things that have happened to us and you know just think about the last five or ten years and it's easy to see why people who've lost their homes or lost their money in the stock market or lost their jobs could be carrying a lot of resentment or bitterness, and in a way, that holds them from moving forward because they're still pissed off about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's almost like you're so mad and so feel so um, victimized by a system 
that you're almost just holding yourself from taking steps forward in, in a way wishfully, hoping somebody would come forward and, and change it. But that resentment is, is really holding you back. So there's ways to work through the emotional side of it, which is why I refer people to financial therapists, because that's <laughs> work that really requires um, grieving. It's really a grieving process to let go of what you've lost and yep. so that you can move forward. Yep. yep. And then the second thing that I find people um, prevents them from moving forward and sort of feeling paralyzed is being confused about where they're going or what they're aiming for. And, and you, it, this shows up most when people are afraid their job's going to end or they don't have job security. What, not that anybody truly does, but <laughs> there are certainly jobs that are more insecure than others. Or they don't know where their next paycheck's going to come from if they're self-employed. They um, are uncertain if their marriage is going to make it. They don't know if they're going to ever get better because they've been sick. And all of these things can paralyze somebody or force them to kind of go, I don't know who to make the beneficiary of my life insurance because I'm not sure I'm going to stay married or I'm not sure this boyfriend of mine is really going to make it with me. And those things are really powerful, and yet they prevent us from making a decision. So my guidance to clients is you have to operate as though tomorrow – you've either gotten very sick or you've died, how would you want it to be? And if you change it in a month, change it in a month. But at least you've made a decision for today. Mm -hmm. And that's an important way to step forward. Yeah, that's a good good strategy to make it uh, more immediate, more present tense and, and get it out of the theoretical realm. Yeah, it's like making, making movement. It, it's, it's just true that when you start to move, other things start to unfreeze. Mm-hmm. And so you move on the things that are going to have uh, um, the biggest impact or have the most sense of relief because you handled it. And mm-hmm. a lot of times we just beat ourselves up. It's like, oh, my God, I must be a horrible person. I still haven't written a will. I still haven't, you know, invested that money that from the house that I sold four years ago. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I just think that's when you need an advisor. You need somebody to sit by your side and really who you trust, who can say, let's just take baby steps. We don't have to invest $300,000 tomorrow. Let's just invest 25,000 and see how it feels. Come back next week and we'll talk about it. You know, Um, this, this, what you're saying reminds me that, that many times I sit with people and they, they, they're having difficulty making a decision. And as we talk it through, what comes to the surface is that they don't yet have enough information to make the decision. So they can experience it of, oh, I'm bad at making decisions. Um, and in that kind of a procrastination can take over that kind of feeling stuck. But in fact, if, if you get, if they can pull some more information together, then the decision reveals itself. It's like, Oh, I should go this way then. Exactly. Uh, well, you just and, touched on the fourth trigger to procrastination, but let me okay. do the third and then we'll get there. <laughs> but, but before we do that, Luna, we yes. need to pause for a break. So after, we'll come back after and talk about the other three parts of uh, the uh, for procrastination. Luna's told us about two of them, and now there's going to be three more coming. So stay with us. We'll be back in a minute with Luna Jaffe. Uh, when you come, when we come back, if you'd like to join us, please call eight six six four seven two fifty seven ninety, or you can email questions to Money in Your Life Radio at gmail.com. That's Money in Your Life Radio at gmail.com. Really, we always look forward to hearing from people. So you have money in your life and we'll be 
right back after the break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you have financial goals for yourself? Do you want to be smart with money in all areas of your life? If you're ready to become more effective with your personal finances, then you might be ready to hire a financial coach. Since 2002, Brian Farr has helped hundreds of people improve their relationship with money. He's unbiased, honest, and approachable. If you'd like to learn more about financial coaching, visit Brian's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.brianhfarr.com. The goal of financial coaching is to open up the conversation around money with your spouse, your children, or your extended family. Anne Hutchins works with individuals, families, and financial professionals to improve relationships with money. Her work with clients is confidential, honest, and fun. Visit Anne's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.abhutchins.com. That's abhutchins.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Money in Your Life with Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. I'm Brian Farr. My co-host, Ann Hutchins, is traveling today, so she's unable to join us. And we are talking with Luna Jaffe. Uh, Luna is a uh, financial planner in Portland, Oregon. She is a visual artist and has written a book called Wild Money, A Creative Journey to Financial Wisdom. Just before the break, we were talking about procrastination and ways that Luna has found that to be successful in working with folks. So, Luna, if we can pick it up, you said that there was a third idea around procrastination that you wanted to share with us. Yeah, the third one is uh, is is fear. It's just being afraid of losing your money, being afraid of making the wrong choice, being afraid of um, those are the two biggest ones: losing your money and, and just making a bad decision. Uh, a lot of times, people have made a bad decision in the past, or at least they felt like it was a bad decision. And part of what we have to do there is step back and say, "What's the story I'm telling myself?" I had one client who said. Uh, you know, she started writing out, yeah, when I was 22, I lost my, the $25,000 inheritance that my uh, grandmother gave me, and I just, I've never felt like I was good at money management ever since. Ouch. And then when she looked back on it as a 40-year-old, she said, I was 22, and nobody taught me a thing. Like, why would I know how to manage it? It's like she found compassion looking back and realized that it wasn't necessarily that she made a humongous mistake. It was just that she didn't have any training or knowledge and nobody gave anything to her other than the money. So mm -hmm. we have to kind of reframe our fear, and sometimes we have to take movement despite our fear. We have to just be willing. It's like, yes, the market goes up and down. You need to understand how much you can navigate that, how much you can manage 
that, that's really the definition of risk tolerance. How much can you tolerate the fluctuations in the market? But I, tr- I call it a comfort zone. Mm-hmm. It's a different framework because where you need to be comfortable at the same time. You also need to be able to stick with the plan. <laughs> and that's really the key. If you're investing, yeah. you have to be able to stick with the plan. If you start pulling money out every time you freak out because the news is going sideways, then you're not going to get where you want to go anyway. So you're you're saying that that it's important for people to take the time and explore what their real comfort is, what their comfort zone is, not just what they think they should or what their father said they should do or the way that their brother invests in it mm-hmm. in, in the market, but to know what their own comfort zone is so they, they can then stay the course. During- exactly. Okay. Yeah. And who they really are. So like, for example, people don't really know how they're going to behave. Uh, they don't really understand the questions that financial institutions give them. They're like, well, are you able to tolerate the market going up 10% and down 20%? And they're like, I don't know. You know, it's, it's more, I look at people's personalities more. You know, are you the person that goes swimming in the ocean? Or are you the person that really prefers to sit on the beach because, you know, the ocean has sharks in it? Mm-hmm. You know, and it just tells me who they are. And then we want to choose investment vehicles that mirror who they are. And they can then, and they also have to have realistic expectations about those vehicles. So -hmm. if they tell me they want 10% return, but they only want to sit on the beach, I'm going to say, you know what, those two things don't go together. Right. You know, and so what are we going to do about that? Are you going to be willing to dip your toes in the water or are you willing to have to work a little bit longer in order to get where you want to go? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because you have choices. Right, right. Yeah, so that makes is, sense. Fear is important. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the next one of these triggers is what you just mentioned earlier, which is lack of knowledge or skill. So we procrastinate yeah. because we don't know. We don't know what we don't know. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I don't understand investing, so I think I'll just wait. Wait for what? <laughs> wait, wait until you get a divine, you know, download of investment knowledge? Probably not. But it, we tend to just think that something's going to come along that will change that. When, in fact, we have to either learn it or ask. Mm-hmm. Learn mm-hmm. it or ask for help. Mm-hmm. And that's yep. your two, those are your two choices. <laughs> you know, it's unfortunate that many times people learn that they don't know, learn that they don't have the knowledge in a crisis. So yes. then, then you've got the the emotional reaction to the crisis. You've got the 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 amygdala, that little part of the brain that's going, "I'm not safe. What do I do?" Mm-hmm, you know, exactly. and it's one. It, it it leaps towards the most primitive uh, reactions typically. So I'm wondering how it, it, to guide people to this awareness that you don't know what you don't know, and do it before they get into an emergency. How how can you guide people towards that? I think that it's, I guess the feeling I have is that there's so much misinformation. And sadly, a lot of the education out there, financial education, is it's not very interesting. And so people don't do it. I remember when I was learning to be a financial advisor, I I went to a bookstore and I looked at all the books on finance. And I was like, oh, my God, this, like, bores me to tears. How am I going to possibly take this job on? Right. I thought I must be just completely losing my mind. In fact, all my friends thought I was losing my mind, too. And then what I realized is that the way I learn is by talking to people. And 
I was an incredible, um, you know, mentee, really. I just went to everybody I could find and say, teach me how you do this. Teach me how this works. Teach me how a mutual fund, you know, works. How do you teach people about mutual funds? And, and then I was a sponge, but trying to read it, it was like, ugh. Mm-hmm. So it's understanding who you are. How do you learn? Yeah, there's people that learn well with books, but honestly, most people don't. Right. Most people right. nowadays do better with a video. There's some great videos on YouTube, for example. If you don't understand something that you own, Google on YouTube, mutual fund, and you will find many different people that are explaining how a mutual fund works. There's some great videos on what financial planning is. There's great videos on how stocks work or how interest works. And, and understand that they're not all, you know, they're not all the answer. But when you watch several of these things, you can start to get the feel for what's the commonality about how they're explaining something. Yeah, that's a very good suggestion. Now, before we go on to the fifth item you're going to mention, I want to invite people to call in. Um, the number, our call-in number is 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. And give us a ring. As, as you've been listening to Luna this morning, has something triggered your memory of where you got stuck in one of these places of being, procrast- being a procrastinator or not moving forward? And uh, it, it, how, did it, how did you work through it? Or tell us a story about that when you call. Or if there's questions for Luna, obviously, we look forward to your call. So, Luna, the fifth point that you were t- going to tell us. Yeah, the very last one is time management. I know that everybody loves that term. <laughs> but part of what happens when it comes to money is that we underestimate the time it will take us to do different tasks. And... So part of what we need to do there is to understand that, you know, maybe it takes me an hour, not five minutes, to really assess each week or each month where I'm at financially. And so part of the job there is to come back and say, wow, that really, I'm not really giving myself enough time for that. And then I'm feeling like a failure because I don't do it in the five minutes I gave myself. Oh, boy. And Right? And so if we can come is back it, I was and just be more say, realistic. Isn't it- it's so, if all of our problems were so simply corrected, if we could just go, oh, I miscalculated how much time this is going to be, and then to, to readjust it and then just sit down and then do it successfully and feel good about getting the job done. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So and and I, that's, that's a big deal. And so part of the, the – I think part of the role that professionals can play if they really understand this concept is to give people a realistic time frame. So one of the things I say to people is – you know, we're going to work together for a year. I don't want to invest any longer in people that just want to come twice to work with me because I know from experience now, 10 years in this business, that two sessions of working with me is not a long enough time for us to get things in order and for them to build their confidence and for them to feel like um, they're on top of it. And I, always, I love to use the word on top of it because I'm always asking people, what does that look like for you? to feel like you're really on top of it. And it varies, but in, but it, it, it's always some form of I'm organized, I know what I have, I know how much I'm earning, I know how much I'm paying. You know, it's, it's those things. And, and I'm feeling like when I have a decision to make, I have the resources I need. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't happen in two sessions. <laughs> that happens because we're, you know, that whole concept of we have to reprogram neural pathways, yes, it, it, 
it's a process. Mm-hmm. And we have to start to teach our brains that there is another way to do something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that takes time. And that takes time. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing that you're mentioning is is that it in order to reprogram those neural pathways, we need to, there's two things. You need new information or the, the therapist will talk about a corrective experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, combining the, the, the new information itself, it seems like so much of the financial data and the financial industry is about delivering data to the client. And then the client is, it's assumed that the client can take that data in and do something with it and quote unquote, have the corrective experience, crunch that data up or internalize it and go, oh, I should be doing it a different way. But I think that's where that's what the that's the the misconnection in this process here. And that's where people like yourself, a, a financial planner who's got as much wisdom and education around this as you do. And I think also financial coaches and financial therapists, we can help move people across that threshold of how to take that information and make it personal. Make it make it useful in that individual life. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So critical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know when I was a partner in investment management firm, there'd be just different times that people you'd see them nod and they say, "Oh, I understand that. I understand that. I'll take some. That sounds a good idea." And then six months later, they'd come back in and they hadn't done anything. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that I know for me, that was when I left the investment management business and got my uh, master's degree in counseling because I was intrigued. How can we help people get this financial information so it's useful to them, so it actually works for them? Yeah, I love that we did the opposite. <laughs> I was a therapist and became a financial planner, and you were a financial advisor who became a therapist. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. That is a uh, we we we've probably we're, we have the same uh, interests overall, and we just started through the different doorways and then had to come back the other direction to get the whole picture in. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I have a, a email here from uh, Lisa in Louisiana, and Lisa says um, that she has she I've been a free spender and consider myself very generous generous with philanthropy organizations and with my family. What advice do you have around balancing prudent financial management and generosity with community, here it is, balancing prudent financial management with generosity and community responsibility? Boy, it's such a great question, and I'm I'm glad you told me that it's coming from a woman because I think this is a particular challenge for women that um, tend to be much it's much easier to be giving than it is to be, in a sense, preserving or taking care of and making sure that their own future is in good, is in good um, it's, it's prepared for. And so one of the things, it's funny that she asked that question to me because I added a chapter in my book at the very end about giving because I kept running into this issue with women where they were giving, 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 and they weren't, and their house wasn't in order financially. Uh-huh. And they... And one woman in particular, I actually put her on a giving diet. She had to, (laughs) her assignment for a month was she couldn't give anything for a month just to look at the emotional side of giving, what was happening for her. And she found it so instructive that she realized that she was really giving from a place often of that was how she made connection or that was how she 
um, certain giving was coming from a sense of obligation, and that she was actually being very depleted by it. So one of my suggestions in this case is, there's two things I, I really suggest. One is understand, truly understand your cash management, which means I'm not really a proponent of budgeting because budgeting is people don't do it in reality. Instead, if you say, I have, a, I have a, an allocation each month or each week or each year of X number of dollars for giving and sticking to that, it becomes much easier because if you say, okay, I want to give away 10% of my income or I want to give away $5,000 a year, then if you sit with yourself and say, where does that $5,000 need to go? Typically what I, I think people do best with is they allocate usually half of it to organizations they make commitments to. And then they leave half of it for those situations where the Girl Scout shows up at the door with the cookies or your friend is doing a Kickstarter campaign or whatever it is, and you have a remaining allocation in, your, um, in the dollars that you've set aside for that purpose. But where people get messed up on this one is that that money is not actually separated out. So in a perfect world, you would actually create an account that's a little oh. savings account or a, or okay. a checking account. I use checking accounts because they're easier and they're cheaper. And I just say that's my giving account. So I'm either feeding it every month or I feed it once a year, whichever one I want to do, and then everything I use comes from there. And then I know I'm in alignment with what I can afford. Okay, so let me let me get clear on this. So there's a separate account. You've already done your your overview, how much money you have coming in, how much is going out for your mortgage or your rent and your car payment and all those things that are fixed. And you've got X amount available for giving. So you, you've done that. And then with the giving, you put that into a separate account and you know that you're saying like maybe half of it is for organizations that you give to consistently and the other half is for the more spontaneous giving. Exactly. Because we're going to do both. We're almost all prone to that, right? Mm -hmm. Especially if you're a generous hearted person, somebody's mm -hmm. going to come forward and they're going to say, come on, could you please support this? Or, you know, and that gives you the opportunity to say, Yes, I can. Or you know what? I've already spent my. I've already spent what I have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, it's it's much easier to say that when you actually knew what you put aside to begin with. Mm -hmm. And you're not jeopardizing yeah. your own well-being, your own future dreams, your mm -hmm. retirement, uh, whatever it is that we need to make sure is covered. Yep. And there's another piece in here. I think that when when somebody is in that moment of needing to say, you know, I've already given as much, uh, you know, for, for this month or this quarter, however a person sets it up, that's going to remind them that, yes, they already have given. They already exactly. they, they already are a generous person. And, and so it makes it it makes that a pre that becomes a present moment reality when you're saying, oh, I can't give to you now. But then you'd realize inside, well, I already have given this amount of money this year. So that can feel, you know, it's I am contributing. Because you can, it does remind you that you're a generous person. It also, you can also say to yourself, wow, you know, I really like that organization. I think when I do this evaluation again in January, I'm going to put them on my list. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a way to just make the act of giving um, – important enough that it's not just impulsive exactly not just spontaneous and i'm not i don't exactly. mean to be 
dissing spontaneity at all. But when something is important enough that you you plan for it, uh, you realize this is a group that's really doing something that I care about in my community, and I'm going to give to them twice a year, and it's going to mm-hmm. be this amount of money, and I'm going to feel good about it. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. That's great. Well, Lisa, thank you very much for that email. Um, we are getting ready for a break. I would once again invite you to, uh, if you have questions for Luna or comments about this subject, um, the idea around how to how to work with procrastination or what we talked about earlier. Uh, Luna, I have to thank you for it. This the I the bringing in visualizations when we work around money. Uh, getting our creativity more activated when we're dealing with the topic of money. I think that's a door opener for lots of people. So we will be talking more about this when we come back from the uh, back from the break. Once again, our phone number, 866-472-5790. You have money in your life. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The goal of financial coaching is to open up the conversation around money with your spouse, your children, or your extended family. Ann Hutchins works with individuals, families, and financial professionals to improve relationships with money. Her work with clients is confidential, honest, and fun. Visit Ann's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.abhutchins.com. That's abhutchins.com. Do you have financial goals for yourself? Do you want to be smart with money in all areas of your life? If you're ready to become more effective with your personal finances, then you might be ready to hire a financial coach. Since 2002, Brian Farr has helped hundreds of people improve their relationship with money. He's unbiased, honest, and approachable. If you'd like to learn more about financial coaching, visit Brian's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.brianhfarr.com. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network you're listening to money in your life with brian farr and ann hutchins to reach our program today please call 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you may also send an email to moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. I'm Brian Farr. My co-host, Ann Hutchins, is traveling today and unable to join us. We are talking with uh, Luna Jaffe, a financial planner here in Portland, Oregon. And we have a caller in the line. Donna from Seattle, you have money in your life. Uh, good morning. I'm calling with a comment that's sort of at the other end of the spectrum to your last caller, Lisa, from Louisiana. I grew up in the shadow of the Depression in a context where there was no spare money at all. And so, for example, when the, we had the recent uh, economic downturn in, our, in, in the country and the world, 
I had images of being in a soup line and this sort of thing, even though I myself, uh, at this point in my life, have certainly adequate funds. And so this is, it's a, how to say, it's a narrative that haunts me in a way, and uh, it's always there. I can rationally override it, but it makes, it makes issues around money um, interesting. So how does that play out? It plays out in my life in that I can get myself to give to uh, charitable causes, and that's, that's pretty easy, but the harder thing is uh, spending on myself. Uh, it's just uh, um, I could be very ascetic. <laughs> I love that question, and here's one of the, I've had several clients like you, and what I do in these situations is I actually um, have you give yourself a um, – so let me ask you this question. What, what is something that you absolutely love to do or to – what is something that you wish you could spend some money on that was about you? I love to travel in countries where I know the language. There you go. Okay, so what I have you do is I, I have you create an account, and that account um, – you put money into that account every month for your travel, and it's the only thing you can spend that money on. So I basically kind of, um, we kind of create this thing where it's like you have to spend that money on travel. And, I mean, I've had clients that have inherited money, and they, they still will drive a beat-up old car, and they won't buy themselves something new. And it's like, okay, so we're going to make this piece where you have to spend it on this thing that you love, and it's just a required part of your budget. And you can see that it's there, and it's, and everything else has been handled, and it seems to take the angst out of the picture um, by dedicating an account just to that thing. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So I That's do the same thing, try. for example, with people who have creative interests, but they never actually make the funding of that you know, art class or taking a dance class or whatever it is they want to do. They don't make it a possibility. It always you know, is at the very end or the bottom of their list is I just say, okay, we're going to start funding that creativity account 50 bucks a month. And, you know, and six months later they come in and they're like, well, there's $300 there. I'm like, great, go spend it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, on what? <laughs> I say, go to the art store and just buy whatever you want. And they're like, oh, my God, I can do that? I'm like, yes, that's the money. That's what that money's for. Oh, this it's is- worth a try. And I, I suspect that I'll be tempted to cheat. <laughs> How cheat in which cheat? direction? Well, to cheat in the direction of, oh, but my daughter perhaps could use it, or uh, I haven't given as much as I would like to a certain charitable fund, or, you know, that I would think, well, there are other things I want to do about places I'd want to put my money. And so I think uh, I, I, I will have an internal battle. Yeah, and that's why I use this process of looking at your own imagery. So really what you're telling me is that there's a self-worth issue going on here. There's something about you're not worth your own money, even though everybody else in your life is. Ouch. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, but, but it's workable, right? You can work with it. You're, you're being so brave to call this line and talk about it. That's like a huge step right there. Yeah, well, so, I'm anonymous, am I not? <laughs> you're anonymous. <laughs> there's probably more than one Donna in, uh, in Seattle. <laughs> right. I'm sure there's about 500,000 Donnas in Seattle, so you're safe. <laughs> right. right. 
Well, thank you very much. Thanks thank for you for your call. That's a that's an interesting one. Let's go. There's an email that's on the other side of that issue. Uh, this was Mark from uh, he's in uh, Washington State. I'm not sure where in Washington State. Uh, how does someone deal with continuous financial pressure when there doesn't seem to be any relief in sight? Yeah, boy, there's so many people in this situation right now. And I would say that one of the things that happens with the feeling of financial pressure, and I'll just, you know, in full disclosure, I've certainly had my own share of financial pressure, um, especially starting a business and going through a divorce and having a lot of experiences where just everything sort of pounded on me at the same time. And I'm a financial professional, so I'm not here to say anybody's perfect. But the, the thing that I find most soothing when I'm under a lot of pressure is to actually look at my situation. And most of us would think that it's the opposite. It's like if I ignore the situation, you know, if I don't look at how much debt I have and if I don't look at how much, you know, how little money's coming in the door and how many expenses I have, that if I don't look at it, I'll feel less stressed. But that's really not true. What's true is that when I look at it and I get really clear about where I am, I, I become a better money manager and I get more... I'm a little more soothed and and clearer, like, oh, crap, Um, I have $4,000 of expenses and $3,000 of income. Mm -hmm. But what happens when you look at it is you actually can start to get into action about it. I might need a second job. I might need to cut a couple things out. Um, I might need to ask for help. I might need credit counseling, you know, whatever it is. But what happens is that you can move into action when you really look at the numbers and when you're ignoring it, it just becomes, um, in our imagination, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that, that's, that's a great comment. That's an excellent way to, 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 you know, it's when the, when the problem is so big and continuous financial stress, continuous financial concerns can look overwhelming to just, so you're saying is bring, bring the person, help the person or they can do that themselves or reach out to another person if they need to, but get to the reality of what's actually happening. Exactly. Uh, Get out of that fuzzy, that fuzzy thought. This reminds me of, of somebody I worked with years ago. Um, I think he had a total of five credit cards with debts on each of them. And this is a competent professional. Uh, and, and he had not ever totaled them up. And we sat in my office one day and he brought them in in a, in a manila envelope and we added them up. And, and he, he, he left that day and he had an actual number and a plan, you know, the beginnings of a plan. And I, was in, I worked with him for another six months or a year. And then it was probably three years later that I got an email from him. And he said that was the day that he calls the beginning of his new financial reality was that day that day of adding those numbers up sitting in my office that was the beginning of his new relationship with money and it's exactly what you're describing it's it's being clear on what the reality is yeah and and honestly i had a client the other day who we sat down she was feeling that just intense burden of medical bills and still wasn't better and she just was like i am just buried and i don't know how to get out of it and we sat down and what had happened was she wasn't opening her mail And, you know, it had been a year and a half, some of these bills had been just kind of accumulating. And so we sat down and we totaled them up. And then we called every single provider. And three out of the six providers 
said, your balance is zero. <laughs> she was like, did I hear you right? Is it it's zero? She's like, they're like, yeah, you don't owe us anything. And she was like, are you serious? Like, I've been stressing out about something. And, the, uh, and what was it that exist. the insurance companies had paid it off? Her insurance company had paid it off, but she was still looking at an old yeah, bill? Yeah, she didn't even know. Some of them, I think it was that actually she hadn't paid it in, in a year, and they basically just forgave it. I mean, they weren't big, but it was the mm-hmm. fact that there were so many of them. And then, mm-hmm. and then the three that were remaining, you know, I basically sat there and coached her through the process of asking them to negotiate with her about it. And she negotiated those bills to half of what they were they were originally, and then set up payment plans. And she left, and she was like standing four inches taller than she had when she walked in the door. I'll and bet. and this is just a process of facing it. Mm-hmm. And I really mm-hmm. believe that we need people in our lives that can help us do that because it's overwhelming. And it's not yeah. there's nothing wrong with you if mm-hmm. that's overwhelming to you. Mm-hmm. But maybe there's a friend or a a colleague or somebody in your life who who handles these things gracefully who would just sit with you and ha- mm-hmm. and help and don't feel ashamed about it just just face it and get get through it yeah yeah there's something that that it does seem that one of the the that shame can can be underneath our, much of our relationship with money when things aren't going well, when we've been knocked off balance, when we're under financial stress, um, or whether it's coming from back in our past, something that we did when we were in our 20s. And if that gets triggered again, we lose access to the full adults we've become. We don't have we don't have access to the adult wisdom and the adult resources if the shame has gotten triggered around our previous money behaviors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that's a uh, that's a challenge to work with. But I like what you're saying. I think it's really important of reaching out to somebody else. Find a money buddy. That's one of the phrases that I'll use t- sometimes when I'm w- working with my financial coaching clients. That that they whether if you're in a partnership, then the two people in a couple can can serve that for each other. But for single people to find somebody else that they can trust, that they don't feel embarrassed about their financial situation, and so that there's a synergy that happens when two people sit down and work on a project together. Yeah, especially honestly, if they're both struggling with something. So mm-hmm. it could be that your you know your friend is struggling with organizing their kitchen and you're and you're really good at that and you know and you're struggling to get on top of your bills and so there's a sense of you you're actually giving each other something rather than you just feeling like oh god it's just me you know mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. we all yep. have a gift to share and you can share what you're good at at, at in exchange and it, and it feels better right right you know i think we're getting near the end um do you do you want to wrap? There's just there's we didn't uh, we've got a couple more emails, but I'm a little reluctant. Let me. There's one here. Uh, Laura from Arizona. What is a good way to invest a ten thousand dollar windfall? This is the last question we have time for, and we don't have much time to answer it. What's your thoughts for Laura in Arizona? Yeah, I think um, I think the question I would back that question up just a tad and say, okay, I've got a ten thousand dollar windfall. Where am I? And what, are, what do I really want to achieve? So the first question I would ask you is, do you have any debt? Um, because if you do, then you're better off using that money in part to pay down debt so that you're not paying interest and instead of investing money. Um, right. I would look at what do you really want this money to do for you before I would choose what to invest it into. So is it something that I want to use for my future? Is it something that I'd like to use to plant a seed for, say, buying a house? Because those time frames really matter. 
if you have a short time frame, you can't take as much risk. If you have a longer time frame, you might want to use a vehicle like a Roth IRA in which you put an investment, but that's a way to get some really positive tax um, protections. So okay. the question really requires understanding what the whole um, bigger perspective is or goals, and that then sounds... you can understand what to invest it into. Yep. That's a, that's good advice to to look at the larger and what you're saying is both past what you got created in debt and future, so yes. the whole larger piece. Okay, well we are out of time here today. Luna, thank you very much once again. Luna Jaffe has been our guest. Her firm is Lunaria Financial in Portland, Oregon, and her book is Wild Money: A Creative Journey to Financial Freedom. It's a wonderful book. Uh, if you enjoyed what you heard today, you can hear more of it. You can read more of it. And I know you also have uh, ideas on your website and a, uh, a weekly blog, I think it is. Yes, so, I do. Uh, good. So if you're interested to learn more from Luna, uh, that would be the way to go. Okay, so thanks, Luna. Next week, we have Richard Wilson helping us uh, talk about how to assemble the team to support your financial decisions. We are out of time for today. Thank you for joining us. You have been on Money in Your Life. Thank you for making Money in Your Life part of your financial plan this week. Please join your hosts, Ann Hutchins and Brian Farr, again next Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.